Rumi once said, this being human is a guest house. A joy, a meanness. Invite them all in, because each has been sent as a guide from above. So, welcome. I'm Warner Rowe, and this is Guest House. Just a heads up, there is explicit language in this episode. And as a disclaimer, I am not a doctor or medical professional of any kind. None of this information is here to diagnose, treat, or cure anyone or any illness. This is just purely my observation, my personal opinion, and my own story. Please, if you are taking medication, never ever stop taking it abruptly or cold turkey, and always, always consult with your health professional. friends. I'm really, really excited for this episode, probably because I've been working on it for ages, and I'm so ready to just get it out into the world. But I really hope you enjoy it. It touches on so many things, mainly the mind-body-soul connection and how it relates to my experience with withdrawal and how I'm moving forward. So give it a listen and let me know what you think. was initially recording this I had spent quite a bit of time talking about my withdrawal dosages over the last several months but I was listening to it and I'm like this is really boring and I don't know if this is very helpful because it's such an individual thing and everyone needs to find their own way but just briefly I was on 10 milligrams as a steady dose for the last several years and in October of 2021 I decreased it and I ended up bringing it back up a little bit in December because I was physiologically feeling very bad and mentally feeling really bad and then uh, since then I have started to lower it slowly and I'm now on 3.5 and I'm kind of holding this dose I have been holding this dose for three months and I'll continue to until I feel ready to go down again and when I do go down I'll probably go down 10 to 15 percent each time that's the goal anyway i will also just quickly note that a few of the withdrawal physical symptoms that i've been feeling the last several months are nausea a few times a week i get hit really randomly usually in the late afternoon early evening with really bad nausea and that sounds pretty basic but it it's so uncomfortable it it just it feels horrible and headaches throughout the week not every week but I'll get hit with headaches a big one is dizziness and just feeling off kilter off balance and it usually happens around fluorescent lights so in stores like Target or mall type settings or you know what I mean the you know just big stores with really weird fluorescent lighting and white tile it just makes me so it it makes it really hard for me to see and I feel so dizzy if I start moving my head back and forth like I'm looking at items I feel like I'm gonna fall over so that's weird and just being really sleepy not having a lot of energy uh, for things and just really lethargic. 
So those are just some of the physical things I've noticed. And also being triggered really easily with um, physiological symptoms. So if I feel like itchiness on my face or my arm, it'll be like, I call it phantom itchiness because it's like, I don't have a bite or a rash or anything. It's like, it'll just be the feeling of feeling itchy. So I feel that a lot, but the trigger comes when it starts to make me feel really unnerved. Like, oh no, why am I itchy? What is wrong with me? What What's going on? Am I having an allergic reaction to something? And I, I'll notice my mind start to tailspin. And that's when all of the things that I'll be listing later in the episode come into play into just calming down the nervous system and going through these mental checks and just kind of letting letting it be and having the awareness to let it pass through. So that's that's pretty much it at the moment. I'm going to touch on just three pieces of news slash pop culture in regards to medication-induced psychosis and withdrawal. They are a bit graphic, so if that's not something you wanna hear right now, just skip ahead about seven minutes or so. And yeah, it's just something that I feel like is a little bit relevant, but don't worry, it's not what the whole episode is going to be focused on because I only wanna focus on the positive aspects of this journey. What's so weird is that yesterday, Eliza Lamb crept into my mind and if you're a true crime person you will absolutely know who she is. She died several years ago at the Cecil Hotel off of Skid Row in Los Angeles and she died in a very peculiar way. Her body was found in the water tank on top of the hotel after many patrons in the hotel were complaining about the water tasting funny and coming out of the faucet black. So they checked out the water tank and her body was there after she'd been missing for a few days. Now what this has to do with this episode is she popped into my mind because I was remembering all of the people all of the podcast episodes, all of the news articles and blog posts, I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands about her, talking about the peculiarity of her situation. Was she psychotic? Was she mentally ill? Was she being followed? Was she playing this weird, creepy elevator game that came from South Korea? what happened to her because there was video footage of her acting really paranoid and strange she kept running in and out of the elevator etc etc and she literally just popped into my mind out of nowhere because i was thinking oh well people said she was mentally ill i wonder if that was ever confirmed um i wonder if there was anything found in her system after they did an autopsy And check, check, check. Yes, yes, yes. So I looked into it and she was taking medication for bipolar. But what nobody touches on, I cannot find one freaking article or person that touches on the fact that she was in withdrawal from four psychotropic medications at the same time. Effexor, Lamictal, Seroquel, and Wellbutrin blame a girl who died a horrible death on her mental illness. She was in withdrawal from Wellbutrin, Effexor, Lamictal, and Seroquel. Four really strong antidepressants and antipsychotics and mood stabilizers. 
we blame their mental illness for what happened to them. The autopsy report said that there were low levels or negligible levels of these medications in her system. Because she had stopped taking them, she was in withdrawal. So, of course, she was having psychotic episodes. And this led her to panic, to freak out, to try to escape, etc. Again, she was alone, too. This is, this is just tragic. The story was really, really tragic. And so she probably freaked out. We don't exactly know. Climbed into the water tank, tried to get back out, couldn't, and drowned. And it's just upsetting to me that absolutely no one, and if there are, please let me know. And I apologize if there are people talking about it and I just haven't found it. But it really upset me that no one was talking about the elephant in the room was that she had low levels of these drugs in her system because she had stopped taking them. And she was in extreme severe withdrawal. It has nothing to do with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. I mean, she was on such a strong cocktail of medication. It would drive any person into complete madness. Oh, it just drives me nuts. And another thing, I was recently watching a show on Netflix called Pieces of Her with Toni Collette. And it's based off a book yada yada it was actually a really good show and I was really surprised actually that they included a scene where a woman shoots the CEO of a pharmaceutical company who produces the drug Halidol which is an antipsychotic used for schizophrenic patients and the woman had shot the corporate CEO because her husband who had been prescribed Halidol ended up killing their three children and himself. And this was a show, but I believe this is based on a real case where this had happened. Not not the woman shooting the corporate executive, but a case where a man did kill himself and his family, etc. during a um, psychotic-induced, a medication-induced psychosis through a psychotropic drug. This has happened before. These things are really squished in the news, but they have had they have happened and I'll list one in a moment but I thought that was that was interesting that they were showing that on in a show on Netflix I because it's something that I feel isn't allowed to talk about that led me to then remember David Carmichael who in a Paxil induced psychosis killed his 11-year-old son he had believed in in a conspiratorial way that his son was trying to kill his daughter and so he took his son to a hotel and killed him there and um he ended up suing Paxil and all of these things and I was reading up on a lot of the criticisms towards David Carmichael and there are many and a lot of people are upset that he isn't in jail because he was acquitted in his trial one one article was saying The tragic circumstances of this case serve as an important reminder that depression and other mental illnesses are serious disorders. Has nothing to do with the drug causing psychosis, right? And he tried to sue the manufacturer, which is GlaxoSmithKline. He won the first trial, but then lost on appeal. And then Ontario, which the Ontario Court of Appeal is Canadian, they dismissed the case in 2020. So... There you go. 
not not much different with class 2 narcotics causing the opioid crisis and deaths all over the United States and no one being able to sue these pharmaceutical corporations. These are corporations that do not care what happens to you. And if you withdraw or you get sick or you die or you overdose, you can't sue them. So, or you can try, but you won't win. So these were three instances where I was thinking, hmm, interesting points on withdrawal and psychotropic medication that have circulated. The following quotes are from Dr. Kelly Brogan from her books, A Mind of Your Own and Own Yourself, which have been really pivotal in my journey. She talks about how her mentor, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, uh, spoke to her about treating patients that he called parasympathetic dominance, which means their parasympathetic nervous system, it's the arm of your autonomic or nervous system. So it's part of rebuilding, healing, and regenerating your body. He described it as parasymp- parasympathetic dominance were unbalanced. They're people who are in states of disease and stress, weight gain, allergy, low thyroid, low sex hormone fun- function, fatigue, tired but wired. She has a paragraph following that that I highlighted and I was like, wow, that's me. But it says, parasympathetic dominance have typical traits that are amplified when they are under stress and eat the wrong diet. They're not hungry in the morning, yet hangry if they go too long without eating. They look at a piece of toast and gain weight. They're nighttime people and don't get going until noon. They sweat, have loose stools, and suffer from allergies. Their skin flushes easily and they crave fatty foods. They often have low libidos and low drive in general and are often called dreamers. These are the folks, Dr. Gonzalez said, who are the right brainers the Hemingways, Faulkners, and Picassos. She says it's the parasympathetic dominance who are being diagnosed with ADHD, chronic fatigue, anxiety, OCD, depression, and it's time to awaken through the gift of reclaiming health. You are responding correctly on a mind, body, and soul level to the wrongness of your lived experience. Your depression and anxiety is a sign of this mismatch. It's a sign that the processed food, The 100,000 unstudied chemicals are not right for you. Your body is saying no. Your spirit is rejecting a lifestyle that prizes productivity, linear thinking, measurable achievement, and relentless application of will to subdue any obstacle. Your very soul is saying no to a life lived by punching the clock until you die. Where does your life force go when you suffer from this mismatch? Too often, it goes into self-medication with alcohol, or drugs that temporarily dampen the pain of disconnection and often into prescribed medications that hijack consciousness. There is so much gold in all of that. I encourage you to re-listen to it and replay it a few times as I have, as I do keep rereading it because it's just, it's spot on for me and for so many others, I think. But the main thing to take away is, she says, your body is saying no. Your spirit is rejecting this lifestyle that prizes productivity, linear thinking, immeasurable achievement, punching the clock until you die. And she says, your soul is saying no to a life lived. 
your soul is saying no. And it couldn't be more true. And the rampant, rampant issue of anxiety and depression within young people, within all people of all ages across all cultures, it, it's loud. It's speaking loudly. And the people that are feeling it the most are the ones who are most likely to turn to things that suppress it or override it or subdue it. And then she also talks about if mental illness, which she includes as bipolar, depression, ADHD, OCD, panic disorder, and schizophrenia are not caused by chemical imbalances, well then what are they caused by? And the general overall idea is inflammation. So inflammation in the body and what is it a response to? There are three different aspects of it. Physiological imbalances, psycho-emotional toxicity, and spiritual crisis. And I'll be talking about those three aspects within a more simplified context. And that would be body, mind, and soul. So mind being the thoughts, feelings, emotions that are coming up. What are the majority of my thoughts telling me? What are my feelings telling me? What am I focusing on in that area of my mind throughout each and every day and each moment? Body would be how I'm feeling physically, so any physical symptoms of withdrawal. Also, food. That's a huge one. What am I consuming? Vitamins, minerals, how this plays into metabolism, hormones, thyroid. And then soul. Soul is the spiritual realm. Whether for some that's religion or finding manifestation, meditation, different rituals or church, prayer, reading spiritual books, Eckhart Tolle, Pema Chodron, Thich Nhat Hanh, whatever it may be, I compile that into soul. These three aspects have been something that I've been observing within myself and my own withdrawal journey. Now just focusing on this overarching journey and transformation, which is the mind-body-soul connection. It's just life. It's just living my life. But what I'm learning between these three aspects is amazing. And it ties into withdrawal because withdrawal has led me here. Withdrawal has led me to the mental aspects of seeking a new way of viewing my circumstances or a new way of understanding my thought patterns. Withdrawal has led me to the physical and the body aspects as well. What I'm eating, what I'm supplementing with, how I'm moving my body, how I view my body, how I feel in my body. And then of course, the soul aspect. Getting back in touch with just quieting my mind, quieting all of these things, and just learning to hear the inner guidance. 
which I've been weirdly terrified of. I've been really afraid, I think, of so much in my life (laughs) and always, always seeking outside sources, outside validation, outside confirmation, outside answers, outside guidance, whether this is through therapists, psychologists, the medical community, yoga teachers, friends, online courses, all of these things, I think withdrawal has led me to where I am right now, which is just seeing the inner guidance, the being on medication for so long has really blunted that. It's really, really numbed that. It's numbed all of these aspects, the mind, the body, the soul, but really the soul. And I remember a few months ago, just in tears, practically on my knees, grasping onto my husband and saying, I feel like I'm waking up. I feel like I've been underwater and I just... I feel like I'm breathing again. again. So the easiest one to start with, I think, is body. Because that's what got me on this whole journey of tapering antidepressants. In July of 2021, so almost a year ago, I was just kind of sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And was really frustrated with my weight which I look back on now and I think I had been gaining weight consistently every single year from antidepressant use because nothing in that time had really changed in terms of my working out or what I was eating or my habits really. So I chalked that up to being metabolic related or thyroid related. So I did thyroid testing Everything came back pretty normal, my doctor had said. And then I stumbled on Instagram upon a woman called Jessica Ash Wellness. And I'll link her in the notes below. But the information that she was giving was really blunt and straightforward. I stumbled upon her. I didn't have any of these issues whatsoever. But there was something about her that completely drew me in because she's very food focused and she treats her clients and she builds her courses off of a foundation of eating bioavailable nutrients and minerals and living your life in a lower state of stress and fixing adrenal fatigue, making sure that all of these aspects are in line in order to then focus on the bigger issues and she's not about symptom chasing so for example if you have all of these symptoms and you've been told you have endometriosis she's not about pulling each symptom apart or focusing on your most worrisome symptom she is all about the full body approach and before I actually did the thyroid testing I saw two quote-unquote holistic nutritionists and it was extremely expensive I did like uh, I did a bacteria test where they take a stool sample and they check you for parasites. I went through all of these food regimens with them and nothing was working because 
I don't think they were approaching the body from the perspective of bioavailable nutrients. And that's what I really, really loved about Jess was that she just kind of gave it to you straight and was like, you may not like to hear this, but the type of protein you eat in a chicken thigh is absolutely not the same kind of protein that you would get in a bean or in peanut butter. So it was a lot of reassessing of what I've been told and what I've been doing in my life, pounding the nuts and seeds. <laughs> That's a term that she would say, you know, you're just pounding the nuts and seeds because you're hungry and chugging down the oat milk and the almond milk and making the chia seed pudding and not allowing myself to have the ice cream and instead getting the halo top ice cream, which is artificial sugar and it's got all these gums and thickeners in it. And shitting myself for days because it just absolutely would run right through me doing all of these workarounds in my life instead of just eating real food eggs cream sourdough bread meats gelatinous meats organ meats i started really slowly piece by piece so i started introducing fruits again into my life carbohydrates right getting raw milk getting sourdough bread orange juice, consuming more fruits, and then from there working my way into supplements and things like that. Things like taking shilajit, vitamin E, vitamin K2, tons of minerals through things like salt and coconut water, consuming magnesium bicarbonate, gelatin, collagen, then doing things like eating a raw egg every day, which I do. I eat a raw egg every single day. Well, I actually mix it into a drink. So if you're interested in that, check out my Instagram because I do have a reel on that. And it is so delicious. It The drink tastes like vanilla ice cream. It is so good. And eggs are just full of the most amazing nutrients and minerals. It's It's so good. So I started my working way, my way into that. Also having a raw carrot salad daily because the fibers in carrots bind to estrogen because I found out, well, I'm really estrogen dominant and that's probably why I'm struggling with PMDD, premenstrual dysmorphic disorder. Another big thing was balancing my blood sugar. So eating every three to four hours. When I started doing that, I realized I was starving and I just... I was like, oh my God, like my body has been in a hibernation state trying to suppress my hunger. And that's why if you wake up in the morning with no appetite, you can bet your ass you have a really slow metabolism. Because if you have a quick, if you have a a metabolism that's burning and firing up and utilizing the food that you fuel it with, you're going to wake up really hungry because you've just been fasting through the night. I kind of think of it like a fire. My husband and I were in Tennessee and there were one of those wood stove fires and it's, you have to feed it wood. And if you don't consistently feed it a little bit of wood here and there, the fire will dull and go out. And when we would wake up in the morning, we'd wake up a little bit cold because the fire went out in the night because we weren't putting any more into it. So I think of my body in that way as well. And a good way to tell if your metabolism is working is to continue on with the fire in the oven analogy is when you wake up, your temperature should be around 97.9.
that is before drinking or eating anything. It's just right when you wake up and then after eating breakfast, so within 30 minutes, your temperature should rise to 98.3, 0 0.4, 0.5 throughout the day and afternoon. So that's a good marker to see if you are burning the wood, so to speak, when you're sleeping. That'll be a really good indicator as to your metabolic health. Jessica Ash has an amazing presentation on this on her website. I'll link it below. I believe it's free. You just have to sign up and it'll all the stuff will be sent to your email. But if you're interested in metabolic health and thyroid and hormones, this is a really good one to watch. And I'll also just say that it's interesting that I came to pro-metabolic eating because I was insecure about my weight because I have gained quite a bit of weight since starting eating that way. And that's not to send a red flag to anyone who's interested in this type of eating, but coming back to the wood burning stove analogy, I had a had no fire in my stove and then I just started throwing all of these really high calorie nutrient dense rich foods at it butter you know real butter real cream real milk sugar potatoes eating regularly every three and three to four hours whereas before i've just been pretty much intermittent fasting you know s skipping breakfast you know munching on little things for dinner and then of course like binging at night with like something sweet or like a bag of chips or something like that and I think I'm still finding my way through all of it and I feel really positive and hopeful about my weight coming into proper balance and my body over time releasing the weight. And of course I'm, you know, getting my cardio in and you know, trying to make sure everything is paired properly, but I'm certainly not perfect. And it's a journey. It's a complete journey, but I will say I am so much happier now with how I'm eating and what I'm eating than I ever have been in my life. And I feel confident that my health is every day getting better. It's not perfect, but I'm getting there and I do not think it would be possible at all for me to even attempt withdrawing from medication if I didn't have these building blocks. It's been almost one year now that I've been eating pro-metabolic, eating the foods and supplements and minerals that I just, you know, previously listed. And these are the building blocks of my body and of my life. And I'm telling you, it has been transformative. And weight is weight. It'll come off when it's ready to. And, you know, it, it's, it's a journey and I'm learning so much. But somehow balancing my blood sugar, eating things like liver and raw milk <laughs> and drinking magnesium and making sure I have plenty of sodium and potassium, oh, and lowering polyunsaturated fats in my diet and trying to lower estrogen with things like, you know, vitamin E and castor oil packs and again, getting retinol from retinol and copper from liver and things like that combating the effects of estrogen which really inflames things like pmdd through food i was able to do this all the while still on the antidepressant and lowering the antidepressant and then i started doing pelvic floor therapy which isn't food related but it was just relaxing 
the most tense part of my body, which was causing me bladder issues. And I was having to frequently pee all the time. And it was painful. It was uncomfortable. It was like I had to pee, but I couldn't get it all out. And it was just because all the muscles in the pelvic floor were just all mangled and spasming. I was literally having muscle spasms in the pelvic region, which is so, so uncomfortable. And I think so many women deal with pelvic floor dysfunction and need some therapy there. And we just push it away. But we as women, we carry so much there. So, so much. And especially women who birth. I mean, my goodness. Take care of your pelvic floors, women. And it's interesting to think, too, the pelvic floor is a bowl. It's shaped like a bowl. So it goes around the back of you. So where your butt is all the way up to like where your belly button is. So it's like this little curved bowl and it's got all your muscles and organs in there. And when you feel tension on one side, it's pulling another side. It's all connected. It's amazing. Take care of it. And so I started doing all of these things. Oh, and also having different types of proteins. So not just eating chicken breast anymore, right? Which we associate with like healthy lean protein. No, it's it's not what you think it is. And I also wasn't just being a carnivore and pounding the steak either because that can be really inflammatory. So I was eating fattier cuts of meat to balance it out but not too fatty, right? So have your lean, have your fats, have some shrimp with a chicken thigh, right? So you've got pure protein in the shrimp and then you've got a little bit of fat in the chicken thigh and you're balancing it out. And then more gelatinous cuts. So like beef cheeks and oxtail where you get that gelatin, you get that collagen, you get those amino acids that promote really healthy, beautiful, tight, glowing skin. And our ancestors would eat nose to tail. They would eat the whole animal. They would eat all the gelatinous parts. They would eat the organs. They did not just eat muscle meats and chicken breast. So learning all of these things helped me so much that within five months, I had pain-free periods. I mean, no mood swings. No PMDD, raging, crying, fits of blubbering anxiety. And I mean no pain. Advil could have sponsored me for the last 15 years of my life from how I've pounded ibuprofen. And I did not take one Advil. (laughs) And I haven't. Actually, I've maybe taken one or two for other things, not my period. And it's been five months now. So five cycles where I've had no pain. This is amazing. Like, this is miraculous, I have to tell you. And if you know me personally, if you've you've known me for many years, you will know that periods were extremely hard for me. I was inconsolable, a rageful hormonal mess. It was difficult to work. It was difficult to maintain friendships and relationships. It painted my world black. It was really scary. And I also can connect this to when I think about people struggling with quote unquote mental illness, I'm like, they're hormones, they're thyroid. We need to just think more about this instead of just on the symptom level. But what the hell is going on inside their body? Because I get it. I was a raging mess. Like, I was vitriolic, I was spiteful, I was 
aggressive. One last thing for the body topic would be eliminating polyunsaturated fats from my diet, from my skincare, from my life. And many foods high in polyunsaturated fats would be all nuts and seeds, almost all nuts and seeds, and canola oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, anything that's fried is going to be fried with a polyunsaturated fat most likely. Things like argan oil, almond oil, apricot oil, any seed oil, especially in skincare, so blackberry seed, watermelon seed, all these quote-unquote luxury oils, all polyunsaturated fat, which just, which just means that it's missing the hydrogen atoms, so it's a double bond in its molecular structure, making it more prone to free radical damage and oxidative stress within the cells. So this has a really big compounding effect. I won't get too into it here, but it is super fascinating. All in all, the history of polyunsaturated fats is a really, really interesting one. And I will post some stuff in the show notes, so take a look if you're curious. I do think that the super high usage in how we're consuming polyunsaturated fats in our society contributes to all sorts of ailments, diabetes, heart disease, heart attacks, all sorts of cancers, all sorts of mental impairments as well. So there's a lot of research out there and maybe I will do a podcast episode on that and how it relates to skincare because that's why I'm creating guest house skincare. So keep a lookout for that. But that's why I am also passionate about passionate about not putting it on our skin as well as not in our body. So stay tuned for that. We are at the intermission of the episode. We're pretty much halfway through, so I'm just going to leave you with a quote for the intermission from Dr. Kelly Brogan. When you have the tools to balance your bodily organism, you will come into fuller contact with your soul and your reason for being, your essential role in ushering the rest of humanity into the next story. I believe the canaries in the coal mine will save us all. You will find out what you are here to do. You will keep looking for it until you cannot control the drive to pursue what feels like the most important thing on the planet for you. This unstoppability is the hallmark of the creative life force. You canaries in the coal mine will show the rest of us how to tap into a limitless reserve of creative energy that flows from the deepest truth of all, that we can dematerialize our egos at will and come together whenever we want. If you are struggling, know that there is an invitation embedded in that struggle, an invitation to free yourself, your creativity, and to light your fire that feels extinguished. We all need you awake, alive, and in touch with your soul. The very real possibility is why responding to symptoms of so-called mental illness with support rather than interference is not simply about substituting an herb for Prozac. It's about engaging in a path of personal transformation, even rebirth, so you can show up in your truest expression for what you are here on the planet to do, your purpose in this life. For mind, I have recently, it's more of a recent thing, become really interested in law of attraction and manifestation. 
And when I first started going a little bit deeper into it, I'm like, oh, well, I know what manifestation is. Like, everyone knows what it is. It's definitely a buzzword. It's been around the last few years. People use it ironically, and it's it's in pop culture. It's not anything new, but I started to really dive deep into it. And what I've uncovered has been pretty life-changing and with one person in particular Tara Brunette I'll link to her in the show notes but she's just amazing and when I first stumbled up upon her like I do with everyone who ends up bringing something profound and amazing to my life I'm always extremely skeptical at first weirded out by them a little bit but something about them keeps me coming back and that was it with Tara and so I ended up joining her membership It's just a monthly membership fee, but she's got all this content on there and it's just worth its weight in gold. But I took a class or a masterclass of hers. It's called Feeling the Frequency and it's in the membership, but it was all about the levels of vibrations that we maintain. And there's an emotional scale, emotional vibration, vibrational scale. And I actually found a copy of it online so I can post it in the show notes as well. But the emotional vibrational scale is just showing us where we are and in her master class she teaches us how to just move up the scale like one at a time and the reason this scale is so important is because the the higher you are on the scale in terms of your thinking and more importantly your feeling the more likely you are to create the reality that you so desire and that was just life-changing the practice of noticing where I am on the scale, which mostly was very low. (laughs) And on, on the bottom of the scale, for example, would be fear, frustration, anger, rage, jealousy. So, you know, I hover a good amount or I would hover a good amount in those ranges. And of course, not all the time, not every day, but in a moment to moment, in, in each moment, there's the ability to practice so she kind of worded it as acknowledging where you are in the scale and talking it through i'm going to walk you through it briefly but it won't really make sense unless you have a visual so i put a link to the image in the show notes it'll take you to a website and if you scroll down you'll be able to see the exact one that i go through and the one that tara demonstrated her course on so if you want to go through this with me and visualize it a little bit better uh, make sure to have it in front of you as i'm talking you through it so it'll make more sense so if you're starting at fear which is the lowest on the vibrational scale just talking myself through that like right now I'm afraid I'm afraid of xyz because it's making me feel this way moving myself up one to insecurity or guilt or unworthiness which is I feel really guilty I feel really guilty that I feel afraid and scared right now that it's putting me and this person I love in this situation xyz moving myself up jealous I'm jealous of people that don't feel this way or I'm jealous of blah 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 because of xyz and then moving myself up to hatred i hate this shit i hate feeling afraid i hate feeling like this consistently this always comes back to me moving myself up to anger or sadness i'm sad 
really fucking sad right now and so on and so forth and you see the moving up the scale but the point isn't to rush through it the point is to feel it to feel each and every one so I relate this to mine because if you can master your emotions in life you can have anything you want you can create the exact reality you want and that is huge for me because I am someone that I think many people in my life would have called me or would still call me because this is all new right but they would call me emotional like an emotional person maybe a volatile person and because I've always shown that I've always let my emotions carry me up and down up and down up and down and I put that out into the world too and even people who don't show their emotions outwardly that doesn't really matter because whatever you are feeling inside is reflecting to your outer reality I was just someone that wore it on my sleeve but that doesn't make me any better or worse than someone who represses their emotions And the point with the emotional scale is absolutely not repression, but feeling each one and just getting you to move up a little bit. And the highest emotions on the scale are hopefulness, positive expectation, belief, optimism, happiness, eagerness, enthusiasm, passion, freedom, empowerment, joy, appreciation, and love. Every day, I try to go through the scale And I try to get to that. I try to get to the hopefulness, the positive expectation, the joy, the gratitude, and the love. And starting my day off doing that, because we all wake up in funks, some more than others, and I'm pointing to myself. And getting the start of my day right, it just creates this like compound interest, right? If you're feeling the joy, the appreciation, the enthusiasm, the excitement, it just compounds throughout the day and it's a snowball. And then the hour, the minutes and the hours become days, become weeks, become months. And that's how you create your life. I'm learning. It's just the string of moment to moment to moment that creates a life. So that's a part of the mental aspect. Practicing what I've been practicing now, what I spoke about, it's, man, it's making me realize there are so many people out there who have what I want and nothing makes them different than me. And they'll tell you that. (laughs) They'll tell you how intentional they've been, whether they've known it or not. Everything that you see in front of you, that you can touch or feel or have or use was once a thought. It was just a thought and now it's in front of you. Everything is energy and everything is abundant. There is so much abundant. Uh, There is so much abundance, resources, money, things, job positions, Whatever it is, it is abundant. It's not scarce. But that's a mental shift. And Abraham Hicks talks about it like it's a vortex. Everything you want is in the vortex. So you need to be in the vortex. And how the hell do you get in there? Well, it's your vibration. You are a magnet. Your thoughts are a magnet to what you want. 
So Tara, she talks about this to, uh, she frames it as calibrating to your desire. So you have a desire, right? And that's at a certain vibration, a high vibration, most likely. And we need to calibrate to that. And how do you do that? And she explains it really, really well. Abraham Hicks explains it well. And I'll try to list some things below, but calibrating to your desire, it's climbing that emotional scale that I walked you through and starting to watch your thoughts and choosing a better one. And I used to think that was such bullshit. The idea that people would say, well, just stop thinking this way or choose happiness. Like I would have been like, F you. Like that's not how the brain works. But every single thing is a choice. Not all thoughts are choices. Absolutely not. Thought we, we think 60,000 thoughts a day. Many of them are not a choice, which is a relief, right? And it's a relief that your thoughts don't immediately create your reality because that would be absolutely disastrous for all of humanity. But it's the compounding effect, the compound interest kind of thing where what are the majority of your thoughts? It's kind of like a, a snowball or compound interest it builds up over time and in terms of choosing a better thought it it, it's not like you're denying any emotion or feeling that's why we have the vibrational scale and to really walk it through or to feel the feelings or to just get get it out which i'll talk about in a little bit too in the soul aspect but there are some things there in terms of letting things out, releasing and coming back into alignment. And that's all part of it. It's, it's feeling the feelings. Absolutely don't push them away. But there's a difference between going through the scale, going through the energy and the feelings and the emotions and the thoughts and the vibrations. There's a difference between that and consistently choosing to be negative, consistently choosing to stay in a low vibrational state of fear, of anger, of jealousy, of frustration, of pessimism. There's choice in that. And I know for sure. And I know that for myself. And doesn't mean it's easy. But again, it's all about that snowball effect. It's building, building, building momentum until it becomes a bigger thing. And next thing you know, you are vibrating at a frequency that attracts you that magnetizes you to your desires and then the soul aspect i think is tied into this in a way but it's coming back to a meditation practice and i've never done hypnosis before but i tara in her membership does have hypnosis meditations (laughs) i guess i don't know how you would say that but i i did one recently and it was very cool it was very, very cool. I just felt really sleepy, dreamy, and it's amazing when you can get into your subconscious mind, like as you're falling asleep, that state between being awake and being asleep, that's what the hypnotic state is or is similar to. That's my understanding of it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's also a great time as we're falling asleep to envision all of the things that we want, the dream life, the dream feelings, the feeling is the biggest part of manifestation. And I think 
soul work in general it's feel the feeling feel the feeling and it sounds easier said than done but that's where I think it comes back to the mental aspect the the kind of acknowledging the emotional scale the vibrations where are you in your emotions where are you in your thoughts and then from there I think the visualization the visualizing practice of the life that you want and the person you want to be it becomes easier and then through that you're feeling it and then you're visualizing it and you're feeling it and you're visualizing it and it feeds off of each other but coming back to a meditation practice which I had many years ago and it was absolutely transformative for me and that was during the time that I had come off Prozac for the first time and I kind of lost it I lost my way and when I do come into meditation and just being and just breathing into it whether it's a guided meditation or just using binaural beats or white noise I just feel so much more connected to everything to everyone and realizing our sameness realizing how loved I am and how much love I have and how much gratitude I have and how much hope I have that's what spirit to me means anyway in regards to spirituality Kelly also says health is not simply about medication or no medication it's about answering the question that your symptoms are asking Once you've done that, you can choose to shed the aspects of yourself and your life that are keeping you sick, stuck, and out of alignment. The ongoing work of this transformation process is one of integration, and it requires that you live life from a new mindset and align important elements of your lifestyle with that mindset. And that is not just in regards to spirituality, but of course, the mental aspect and the body aspect, food, etc. But in regards to spirituality, she talks about how in the West, we have a really distorted view of spirituality. It's, we have what's considered normal, what's not normal, and if it doesn't fit into the normal category, it's like, that experience is a hallucination. In her book, Own Yourself, she says, In chapter one, I shared my belief that those labeled mentally ill are the canaries in the coal mine, those whose bodies, minds, and spirits are exquisitely sensitive to all that is off, amiss, misaligned, and divergent from truth. Given that understanding, illnesses can be seen as a special invitation to wake up, to embody, and to move through a dark night, a tight passage, shedding one more artificial skin, revealing a layer closer to an unfettered experience of being, of freedom, of joy. Here is the question. What if your so-called mental illness is a sign of sanity, an opportunity to awaken and express your gifts, while those embracing the orthodox beliefs and behaviors are more likely than you to meet the criteria for mental illness? Call it living in the matrix, call it hallucinating, or the illusion. If you live life according to what mainstream media, government, and appointed officials say is so, there may come a time where you crack and be labeled with ADHD, generalized anxiety, major depression, schizophrenia, or bipolar disorder. 
you will be told you are the sick one, that something is wrong with your inbuilt hardware. The figurative bone will be pointed at you, and the collective will support your containment, restraint, and oppression to keep the infrastructure of the illusion intact. But the motor is cracking. Too many of us have felt the truth that is spirituality, to be infused with spirit, to feel your own soul, to stop and inspire, breathe, and understand that without the entire ecosystem of beingness on this planet, you yourself are nothing. Once you have felt the fearlessness of this faith, you can never be controlled again, and you are finally free. She then quotes Alan Watts, who I'm a huge fan of, and I love this quote. Faith is a state of openness or trust. To have faith is like when you trust yourself to the water. You don't grab hold of the water when you swim, because if you do, you'll become stiff and tight in the water and sink. You have to relax. The attitude of faith is to let go and become open to truth, whatever that may turn out to be. Kelly also quotes a West African shaman called Maladoma Somme, who was featured in a documentary. And Somme said that people who are given labels of serious mental illnesses are the sensitives who need training and support to become the healers and psychic mediums etc. They are the wounded healers and they need to learn how to harness that spirituality, that psychic phenomena. And Somme also says, in the West we are not trained in how to deal or even taught to acknowledge the existence of psychic phenomena, the spiritual world. In fact, psychic abilities are denigrated. When energies from the spiritual world emerge in a Western psyche, that individual is completely unequipped to integrate them or even recognize what is happening. The result can be terrifying. Oh, yeah, that, that's really interesting because I feel like I personally, from a young age, was always terrified that I would have a deep spiritual experience or... I would experience some kind of phenomena and be labeled crazy. I don't know why I've always had that fear, but I think I anything that was outside of the norm in terms of mental, emotional, spiritual, it, it always scared me. And it could be from a more traditional religious background where those things are considered taboo or bad. And it always freaked me out. It always made me really afraid. And I think I've repressed so much of my more free-flowing, relaxed energy, spiritual energy. And it's become a process of me slowly trying to relax, open up, let go. She also has a quote by Robert Augustus Masters who talks about spiritual bypassing or people who use spirituality as a way to avoid taking responsibility for their actions. So she says, he invites us to welcome our shadow elements into the fold of spirituality. And he cautions that any kind of righteousness about one's spirituality is just another form of shadow material. Deep spirituality is relinquishing the need to escape anything or run toward anything. 
It is, rather, accepting what is and then exploring what is for personal meaning. He writes, Cutting through spiritual bypassing means turning toward the painful, disfigured, ostracized, unwanted, or otherwise disowned aspects of ourselves and cultivating as much intimacy as possible with them. In her book, she also gives a few tool suggestions for kind of diving deeper into spirituality. It's kind of a take it or leave it situation. I I think this is for everyone to kind of figure out for themselves. But she lists a few things and I'll name them here. So one would be psychedelics for therapy and mysticism. Maybe I'll talk about my own experience with that in another episode. Another tool is silent meditation, which I find to be really great. But guided meditations are really wonderful as well. Uh, Forest bathing, tantric yoga or advanced kundalini. I think any kind of yoga that you're drawn to that is slow and mindful and really about holding the pose through breath is key. And I don't really care about the names or the styles, but I have experienced doing hatha yoga and I worked with a really wonderful teacher who really got us to really sit and stay in each position. He didn't care about flexibility. He didn't care about all these different postures and poses that people could do. He would always say, you know, this isn't gymnastics. This is, this isn't the circus. It's not about that. And so regardless of the name or the type of yoga, I think as long as you find someone or find your own practice where you're really being and sinking deep into the posture and staying there through breath and awareness and holding it without pain, I think that just opens up a lot. That was a very spiritual experience for me and something that I carry with me today. She also recommends uh, Qigong. I haven't done Qigong, but apparently it's with energy movement through visualization and sound, which sounds really interesting. I would be very open to that. I myself have done remote energy healing, and so I'm not with the healer in the room, and I'm not with them on a Zoom call, but I have listened to audio like I play the audio at the same exact time that she is doing the healing work and it's not live audio or anything like that it's pre it's a pre-recorded binaural beats kind of thing and that has been really really cool I'll be doing my second session this weekend and I'm I was nervous at first again because of maybe my upbringing but It was very cool. I felt a lot of energy moving through my left foot and leg, which I thought was cool. She also recommends breath work. She she calls it holotropic. Holotropic? I haven't done that before, but it holotropic in Greek means moving toward wholeness. I really like that. I I will say, though, that breath work is so, so helpful in learning to calm the central nervous system, in recentering yourself, in truly, truly 
connecting the body to the soul. It, it, it's like the breath just connects those three points, the body, the mind, and the soul. And it's something I want to get back to practicing more regularly, but in the years since I started practicing it, it, yeah, it's very transformative. It gets you out of the very, very low vibrational fight or flight state, which in a flight or fight state, we, we aren't connected we aren't connected at all to our soul. We aren't connected at all to others. It, it's a very lonely uh, lizard brainwave being. And I think breath truly, truly helps with that centering, that connecting. And then last, which is my favorite that Kelly recommends, is ecstatic dance. And it's just dancing. It's just moving through, letting it all out. Kelly says here, I often cry during these hours, releasing tears of stuck emotions that might otherwise stagnate and settle. I feel my soul land in my body. And after class, when I encounter an intense triggering of fear, pain, or anger, I find some alone time and turn music on. I know will help me metabolize the old energy, perhaps once and for all. Dance is our birthright, and as my African dance teacher, Kukua, explained to me, indigenous people don't learn to dance. They simply do, as their elders do, every day. She also happens to be over 60, with six-pack abs, and emanates more joy than one person can seemingly contain. She dances every day, and always has. I love that because I've been doing dance workouts which are probably a bit different than the kind of free-flowing ecstatic dance that she's mentioning but working out by dancing has just brought so much joy to my life just moving my body in a specific way it's like a dance routine and I'm watching a teacher and I'm you know reflecting that but Oh, it's still just so much fun and I want to try some more liberating dance in a dimly lit room and just put stuff on and let my body go and let it fall. Let the dead leaves drop, as Alan Watts says, and I think shaking the tree certainly helps to do that. And just to round it out and bring it home, Kelly so beautifully explains it like this. When you feel disempowered, run through your checklist. Can I optimize sleep, nutrition, meditation? Is there a relationship dynamic that is sucking my life force? Is it time to give myself permission to leave my job? Am I encountering emotional states related to unresolved wounds and unmet childhood needs? Am I breaking a karmic cycle that has been handed down through generations? You will no longer default to a belief that you are broken because you know now there is not now and never was anything wrong with you. You'll also know that what you are encountering is happening for you, not to you. You'll continue to drop your victim stories and you'll rise up to level your healing. And you'll always see a hand held out in the dark, reaching back to help you forward. You'll feel my hand, her hand, his hand, the hand of someone who has the audacity to walk this path before you, leading you home. 
to yourself. This completes the third installment on my series on SSRIs. If you've joined along for all of them, thank you so much. It means the world to me. There is much in store for Guest House, the podcast, and the formulation and skincare line. So stick around and follow me on Instagram at guesthouse underscore underscore, or shoot me an email if you'd like at theguesthousepod at gmail.com. Thank you again so much. Until next time.